You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. It's good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. It's been a few weeks since we've done some recording, so it's nice to see your, your Zoom face. <laughs> My Zoom. Actually, today, <laughs> today I, I shaved because I, I knew I was going to be on um, on the uh, air, <laughs> on, 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 on camera with a few of my program guests today. So I, I'm definitely, uh, as you can see, uh, clean shaven, but, uh, yeah, it's still in it, track pants though. I bet my, my, my beard, my face feels a bit cold at the moment. Oh, <laughs> had a bit of, you know, facial hair to keep me warm, but that's okay. That's what it's come to eh? Uh, personal <laughs> care is shaving every once in a while. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> zoom sit at home sit at home do some zoom meetings but the, the, the essentials are taken care of excellent good for you alex glad to hear that <laughs> as i'm sure everyone else is <laughs> oh well anyways today's show is being taped so no opportunity for calling in but please do follow us on our social sites we are on instagram twitter and facebook and we are at the health hub rmc on all three locations and thank you for your continued emails. Uh, we do we do love getting them and appreciate them, especially during this time. Any sort of connection is wonderful with you. So as I said, we do appreciate them and keep them coming. And please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybsa.com. So, Alex, today's guest uh, is a return guest to our show, Dr. Nicole Avina. She was on, um, oh, last year, the year before, I can't even remember, but uh, wonderful guest. And um, I mentioned in the show that that you're going to hear that I, I still use one of the things that she said way back on that show when I'm working with clients myself. So, very memorable, very knowledgeable lady. Um, and I think you'll really enjoy listening to her. She has a new book out. It's called What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant. Um, and this is a definitive guide to diet and its impact on prenatal health. And it's based on revolutionary new research on how nutrition impacts pregnancy and the ability to conceive. It's written for both women and men, and it is the planning parents resource for optimizing diet to ensure a healthy baby. Uh, very interesting. Um, we, we talk about uh, many things. Uh, people are getting pregnant later in life. 
fertility rates are, are impacted in, in many societies. So this is a very good book um, to have in hand if you are looking to get pregnant. And I'm all into uh, preventative care. And uh, if a couple can be as healthy as possible before they even conceive, it just really shoots up um, the, the caliber of health for, for the developing baby. So a very, a very novel book. You won't find many of them on the bookshelves and um, wonderful to have her. And Dr. Nicole Levine is PhD and is a research neuroscience scientist and expert in the fields of nutrition, diet, and addiction. She is also an expert in dieting during pregnancy and childhood nutrition. And Dr. Avina received a PhD in psychology and neuroscience from Princeton University in 2006. She completed her postdoctoral fellowship in 2010 at the prestigious Rockefeller University in New York City, an all-research institution that lays claim to having had 24 Nobel Prize winners on its staff over the years. Dr. Avina is Assistant Professor of Neuroscience um, at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City and a Visiting Professor in Health Psychology at Princeton University. She has published over 90 scholarly journal articles on topics related to diet, nutrition, and overeating, and she frequently presents her research findings at scientific conferences and university symposia. Her research achievements have been honored by awards from several groups, including the New York Academy of Sciences, the American Psychology Association, and the National Institute on Drug Abuse. She has received research funding from prestigious uh, sources, including the National Institute of Health and the National Eating Disorders Association. And she is author of the best-selling book, What to Eat When You're Pregnant. So this is the prequel to it. A very interesting program, wonderful lady to speak uh, to speak to. Some of the things that we'll be talking about um, is why there is a need to prepare for pregnancy, uh, some key nutrients that should be consumed in preparation for pregnancy, and the role of dad in the preparation as well. So, as I said, please do, um, I haven't said this yet, but please do stay tuned with us. Uh, I think it's a show that you will really enjoy, especially if you are um, um, thinking of conceiving and having a baby. So very interesting. And everybody, we will be back in a few minutes to talk to Dr. Avina.
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, today's show is still being recorded. We will hopefully get to our live show soon. Um, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC in all three locations. Dr. Vina, welcome back to our show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. What an accomplishment. Not just uh, one great book, but two great books you've got out now. That's, I'm just so so in awe of, of that accomplishment. Congratulations. I think it's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. It's Yeah, it's interesting. I never really saw myself as an author or a writer. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I'm just really happy to be able to put the information together in the books and help to educate people so that they can make better decisions and live healthier lives. So why this topic and why at this time did you start or did you write a book about becoming pregnant? So the background story to the book is is a little interesting. I went through um, my own struggles with infertility with my second daughter. I, my husband and I, we have uh, two children. Our older daughter's 12, and we had her no problem. But when we decided that we wanted to add another baby to the mix, it wasn't quite so easy. And I found through my personal research as, you know, doing research in nutrition and studying this for a living, that there really wasn't much emphasis out there on the role that nutrition could play in fertility and how it can have both a positive impact and a negative impact. And as we were kind of going through the, you know, infertility treatments, it became apparent to me that I needed something that I could control because anyone who's struggled with infertility can relate to the fact that you feel like you are out of control of everything that's happening to you in many cases. And so I found it to be, you know, a need that was not being met. And so I wrote the book because I really wanted to just help other people learn about what I was able to learn about in terms of all the different things in our food environment that can have an impact on your fertility. And this isn't just for people who are struggling with infertility. This goes for people who are, you know, thinking about maybe having a baby one day because there is a lot that's happening in our environment that negatively impacts our food supply in a way that can can also promote infertility. So that's something that I think everybody should be aware of who's even thinking about having children. Is it a tough sell to get people on the bandwagon of planning pregnancy and getting the body into shape? I, I, I'm not sure if it was you and I that talked about this a year and a half ago, but the, the idea of having um, couples prepare for pregnancy is it's so um so important yet i don't think it's it's something that uh maybe couples go to first knee jerk when they're thinking about having a baby do you find this are you are you really having to push this niche to try and understand the importance yeah it does take the romance out of it a little bit when yeah. you put it that way. <laughs> um, but i do think that what we see from the data is that people are waiting to have children people are having children later in life for a variety of reasons. And so with that comes the fact that our fertility just naturally declines as we age. And so more women are having their children in their 40s and they're already faced against this sort of limited window of opportunity where, you know, they're going to be fertile. And so I do think that 
more people are getting on board with this idea of, you know, planning out pregnancies, preparing your body. And I also think that people are really just on board with this idea of optimizing our health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't think of any better reason to optimize your health than to produce another human being. And so the fact that we have the power to do that is something that I think people are keen on learning more about. Yeah, and you know, maybe the fact that they are that the couples are a bit more mature, as opposed to, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, when children, uh, parents were mid 20s. Um, there's a lot more thought process going on in there. Maybe, you know, the, the timing of the book seems to be just just great. Um, I, we, I was talking to somebody um, about, you know, the, the lack of of planned pregnancy preparation and the lack of preparation going through when I when I had my kids, it was offered to us, um, you know, well, when you're pregnant, we had classes, they were free to us. And my understanding is that this isn't the case anymore. You, you have to go and sort of seek out information. So great timing to have this come out for people. Yeah. And I think right now people are keen on their health. I mean, for a variety of reasons, but I think that a lot of people are really starting to turn around and take a good look at themselves and say, what can I do to make myself healthier? What can I do to make sure that, you know, I'm taking the best care of myself? And a lot of that comes simply down to what you put in your body, the foods that we eat. And we know that so much of the types of foods that we eat these days tend to be highly processed foods. They tend to be foods with lots of added sugars and preservatives. And those things are really becoming the norm in terms of what we eat. And I'm hoping we'll start to see that change because we have so much information that warns us about the dangers of eating too much food like that, too much of the highly processed food, not only in terms of you know affecting our body weight, but in terms of affecting cardiovascular disease, causing diabetes and you know nameless other conditions that can arise. So I'm hoping that we'll start to see people kind of making that shift back to preparing more foods at home, cooking for themselves, taking the time to take care of their nutrition. And that's one of the reasons why in the book, I included a bunch of easy recipes that, you know, can help not only make it a little bit easier to plan out what you're going to eat, but also have ingredients in them that are going to help to promote fertility. Mm -hmm. Now, your background in neuroscience, uh, nutrition, diet and addiction, how did you spin out into being an expert in diet during pregnancy was is there a a link here somewhere yes so initially my research interests and they still for many reasons are in neuroscience and nutrition and understanding how the brain plays a role in what we eat and vice versa how the foods that we eat impact our brain and we were doing research on whether or not food could be addictive, whether or not sugar in particular could produce signs of addiction. And one of the things that kind of came out of that line of research was this question of, well, where does this begin? We were able to demonstrate that sugar could indeed produce signs of addiction, but we wanted to see, well, when does it start? I mean, does this start at birth? Does it start 
you know, in adolescence. And so we started doing experiments looking at the role of sugar during pregnancy. And that kind of led into this whole other area of research where we've been focused on understanding how what is consumed in the first thousand days of life, that's from conception through age two, can have a significant impact on health outcomes for the offspring. It could also have an impact on cognitive functioning, and it could also have an impact on their immune health. And so that's how I kind of found myself in the mom and baby space. And at the same time, I was having my own kids, and I just was really interested in, you know, learning about it and learning as I go. And I felt like there was a need to educate people who are going through pregnancy and have little children about, you know, how important nutrition is, because we all hear about it, but implementing it is another thing. And I think that the more tools we can give people, the better it's going to be. Do you know or do you have statistics on whether or not fertility rates are decreasing? And if so, is this is this a function of, of parents being older or are there other things going on here that um, you're looking to address through your education? There are statistics that fertility rates are decreasing and there's been some very scary statistics coming out over the past couple of months that are suggesting that those numbers are going to be going down over time even further. And what is being predicted is that most couples are going to need assisted reproduction technology in order to have a baby. And the reason for this is multifold. A lot of it has to do with the chemicals that are in our environment that are endocrine disruptors that are having a negative impact on male sperm health. And this is something that, you know, also finds its way into our bodies through food because we have, you know, pesticides, we have plastics that get into our food supply. And these can have a negative impact on our fertility, both for women and for men. And I think also, too, um, the fact that we're finding that, you know, as we go through life, our lifestyles are changing. People are really, you know, having a lot more stress in their life. They're, you know, living lifestyles that are negatively impacting their ability to easily have another baby or easily have a baby. So we're seeing this happening on a few different levels. It's like the chicken and the egg. You know, if, if you're having your babies earlier, obviously you're having less exposure to the toxins. You've lived a shorter life than someone who's in the 35, 40 year old age range, as well as stress. Um, are they intertwined? Do you think, do you think that um, the couples are pushing the age limit? That's a great question. And I think that it's something that we'll probably be having a lot more discussions about as these data come out and we learn that, you know, there are drawbacks in many cases to waiting, but it becomes almost a societal issue. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. for people who are pursuing careers and, you know, find that it's just not conducive to start a family when they're young, it, it becomes the question of, you know, what do I choose? And, it will be interesting to see how things go. It may be the case that we'll be reverting back to, you know, the the philosophies of our mothers and grandmothers who, you know, maybe had their children earlier and then got into their careers later. But um, it is it is true that, you know, when you're younger, you are exposed to fewer of the toxins. You're not going to have, you know, accumulated the amount of stress that, you know, we typically have when we're in our 40s. Um, and that can have an impact. 
Now, you mentioned your personal um, experience with pregnancies. How can, you know, is it, is it just the, the time difference, the age difference where one pregnancy can be so different than the other? Is there something else going on here other than the passage of time and exposure to um, things that aren't helpful to getting pregnant? Do you oh, know? absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, people struggle with infertility. In my particular case, it was secondary infertility. And it was just that for some reason, it was easy for my husband and I to have the first baby, but it wasn't easy for us to have the second one. And it's not always directly linked to one particular cause. Often there's a variety of potential reasons why it's just more difficult or not happening. And so I think in those types of situations, it can be extremely frustrating because you don't know like why it's happening. And, you know, if it's only been like two years since you had your last baby, that doesn't seem like that much time has passed. Um, so it can be a challenge for couples. And I think that that's, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book was because I felt like people just feel like they're out of control when they're struggling with infertility. Like they don't have control over what's happening in their situation and being able to control your nutrition is one way that you can take a positive step in the right direction. And having that information available, I think allows people to kind of regain some of that control back. Well, absolutely. I don't know. I mean, I haven't gone out searching, but I I've, it's never popped up on my radar, a book about, pre-pregnancy nutrition. And again, the more people are starting to understand the impact of nutrition, of toxins, the more I think that this book is just such, uh, it's released at such um, a valid time in our, in our space. Um, and and to, to talk about it a little bit further, I think that uh, you, you brought it up a little bit about uh, male sperm levels and so forth. This is not all just on the female, is it? Absolutely not. And one of the things that I try to make a pretty good balance of in the book is that, you know, men play a bigger role than they realized in, you know, creating a baby in many cases. And what happens to a male's sperm health can really be the driving force behind whether or not a pregnancy can be successful. And so it's really not something that falls on to just women. Men need to be as equally interested and involved in their nutrition and what they're putting on their bodies and in their bodies, because it can have an impact on their fertility. Mm -hmm. Now, does pre-pregnancy planning nutrition differ a whole lot from nutrition during pregnancy? Not much. I think that the big thing that, you know, we see happening is that certain nutrients can have an impact on sperm health or egg health. And it's important to, you know, be aware of those types of nutrients because it can play a role and it might be something that people, you know, want to consider adding to their diet. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for instance, um, tomatoes is an example that I can give. There's been a lot of work that's gone on to looking at the role of lycopene in fertility. And lycopene is something that tomatoes are rich in. And they can actually, um, so lycopene can help with improving sperm motility and health. And so the abilities for the sperm to get to where they need to go. 
Um, and so there's been lots of links that have been drawn between lycopene and fertility. And so it could be something that, you know, people who are concerned about sperm count might want to consider, you know, adding to their diet mm-hmm. if they um, have an interest in that. Excellent. I think we're going to take a quick break here because I've had a number of questions um, that have people have asked me to ask you. So I want to make sure that I do leave enough time. So let's take a quick break here, everybody, and we'll get back to really digging into uh, the book and the details of the book. And I'll get to the questions that people have asked me. Everybody will be back in a couple of minutes.
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with Dr. Nicola Vina, and she has a new book. When's your book coming out, Dr. Vina? It's actually out now. It's today's the launch day. (laughs) Excellent. Um, And today is March the 30th. So it will be well in stock by the time the the interview comes out. And the book is entitled What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant. And there won't be a lot of other books on the shelf like this. This is a a unique and novel um, area of health, a space of health that I don't think has had the attention that it deserves. And interestingly enough, we've had a lot of questions. you know, really centered around what to eat, what else can be done. Um, some questions about, is it too late to have children? So we'll, we'll get to all of those, but let's get into the structure of your book. So we've got myths that you've addressed. We've got real key nutrients that you've talked about. So let's talk about the myths first, because I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I think that's something that comes along with pregnancy and fertility is a lot of sort of myth busting and, you know, trying to better understand, you know, what is actually happening. And, you know, there's a lot of information that's out there, but it can be difficult for people to kind of sift through it. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that one of the biggest myths that's come about, especially as it comes to fertility, relates to this idea that you can just have a baby and you know what you've done in the past doesn't impact that and we know that that's not the case there's so much research now on epigenetics and showing us that you know the behaviors that we engage in the things that we consume now can actually have an impact not only on our children but even our grandchildren and so I think that that's one of the biggest myths that I've seen out there is that you, um, you know, you're almost immune to whatever, you know, you did in the past in terms of how it can impact your fertility and your offspring. And we know that that's not the case. These things can accumulate in our bodies and it can have a long lasting impact. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually sets the stage for one of the questions that was asked. Um, is it important to detoxify before you want to become pregnant? So that's a, a good question. And I think that it depends what the term detoxify means to you. I think, you know, that term gets used kind of a lot and it means different things to different people. I I think certainly if you're thinking about having a baby, it's obviously a good idea to detoxify yourself from obviously drugs and alcohol if you're using those in excess. Um, But, you know, I think it's also important to, you know, think about your diet and think about, you know, maybe are there ways you can detoxify your diet? I come from the standpoint of viewing processed foods as toxins in many cases. And so if you can work to get those out of your diet and reduce your reliance on overly processed foods, I think that that's a great thing to do to get your body ready. Mm -hmm. There's really only benefits that can come from this. If you, you know, reduce sugar, you reduce alcohol, you're reducing these things that we know are bad for us, it's bound to have a positive impact. 
And I think you're right with the, the catchphrase is what does detox mean to you? Because it does mean are we wanting to support our natural detoxification pathways? And if, if that is the case, then exactly what your book is putting forth is actually doing this, right? It's supporting our natural detoxification. Things like saunas, uh, exercise, all those things can only be helpful. Um, and, and, and I think people need to be smart about these things, right? It's, it's, uh, I agree. I agree. And I think it's important not to be, you know, the, my goal in the book is to tell to help people in a way that they don't have to be an extremist about it. Like, so a lot of times people, you know, do these like detox cleanses where they only, you know, drink fruit juice or vegetable juice for a week or something like that. That's not going to help. You really do need to do this from the cellular level, from mm-hmm. your body's own like you said, I love the way you put you put that. Your body's natural way to detoxify itself by you know fueling it with the tools that it needs in order to do so. Absolutely, I think it's I think it's vitally important. But I think this is not just a pre-pregnancy thing either. I think this is the way we should be living life. And I think when you're you know if you get people on the bandwagon um, by talking to them when it's such an important period of their life, it only sets the stage for better health as as you're moving down the road. So I think it's a fantastic way to to start a healthy path for for you. Your, your spouse, your, your partner, and, and children that you're having. Now, um, one, of the, one of the questions, I, I think I got it four times, is, is it safe to eat sushi? Oh, it's funny. I cover that a lot in the book because it's a question that comes up. And it is. It is safe to eat sushi, but it needs to be done in moderation. Um, and I think that, you know, you want to make good choices about what types of fish you're consuming. We want to make sure that you're avoiding fish that contains a lot of mercury in it. And Mm -hmm. you have to keep in mind that that's the drawback to eating, you know, fish during pregnancy and and even in pre-pregnancy is that people are concerned about the levels of mercury. And so if you can, you know, opt for fish that are lower in mercury levels, that's going to be a better choice. Also, the other concern that people have with sushi and pregnancy has to do with, you know, getting listeriosis, which is a a foodborne bacteria that you can get that essentially could make you sick. It's like, you know, basically getting food poisoning from sushi if it's not prepared or handled correctly. And for most of us, if we were to contract that, we would just have a bad bout of food sickness and we would just get over it. But in people who are pregnant, there can be other risk factors that are associated with it. And so that's why women often shy away from, you know, sushi and things like that, that um, for fear of being, you know, exposed to foodborne illnesses. But my take on it is if you enjoy your sushi, have it. Just do it in moderation and just make sure you're, you know, choosing the appropriate type of fish to have. Okay, wonderful. Um, another question, and again, this is, it's not just once asked, it's asked a few times. And I don't know if these are myths. I don't know if, if people are, I'm not sure where they're coming from. Um, and, and maybe it's because there's more knowledge now than there was when I had my kids. So these didn't even, weren't even a consideration. Uh, not that I ate sushi at the time anyways, but um, about not eating soft cheese or, or, um, uh, what's the right word? What's the word I'm thinking about? Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> um, can I eat non-pasteurized cheese? Raw cheese, yes. I guess. That's a gr- another question that I hear a lot too. And it comes from this idea that, you know, in certain countries where they don't pasteurize the cheese, that again, there is a greater risk for 
it having um, bacteria that could make you sick, essentially. And so most of the cheese in the United States is pasteurized. And so unless you're making your own cheese at the farm, you're most likely going to be having pasteurized cheese. And so it's usually not a concern. Although I often overhear people asking, you know, restaurant servers if the cheese is pasteurized and that's usually their way to telegraph that they're pregnant. Right. Um, But yes, so you can, you can eat cheese. You, You can eat soft cheeses. If you're buying it in the grocery store, it's pasteurized. The only exception, again, would be if you're at a farmer's market where, you yeah. know, people are making it on the farm. Um, that would be something that you'd want to maybe inquire about. But um, odds are it's not going to be an issue. So what are key nutrients that you want people to have in their diets, uh, both men and women, you can talk about um, when they are trying to conceive? Yeah. So, you know, the nutrients that are important for pregnancy and, you know, for when you're trying to conceive are things that we often, you know, typically we want to have in a healthy diet. So we want to make sure we're getting a proper, proper amount of healthy fats in our diet. That's something that's important, especially for women, because they're going to be, you know, carrying the baby. And so much of the brain development happens so early in life before women even know that they're pregnant. So making sure that you're getting a lot of monounsaturated fatty acids, like things that are like from Dr. Vina, yes. we're going to take a quick break here because I'm losing the connection. So I'm just going to take a quick pause, everyone. We'll fix this, what's going on here, and I'll get back. We'll get back. So give us one sec here. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Okay, everybody, we're back. Um, so I want to regroup here because this is very important. So Dr. Vina, what are key nutrients? First of all, uh, soft cheeses are okay as long as they are pasteurized. Sushi in moderation. So those are the two answers to the questions in case they were a little bit choppy there. Um, now let's get to key nutrients that you think are vital for conception. Yeah. So the key nutrients for conception are really not all that different than the ones that we would want to have for a healthy pregnancy. I often suggest that people eat like they're pregnant when they're thinking about maybe getting pregnant. And so one thing for women, especially that's important is making sure that you're getting enough healthy fats. Now, fat's something that people often try to avoid, but we need it during pregnancy because the brain essentially needs fat in order to develop and to grow. And so much of the brain development actually happens early in pregnancy, often before a woman even realizes that she's pregnant. So focusing on getting healthy fats like monounsaturated fatty acids from things like avocado, that's a great way to go. I want to try to avoid trans fats and also, you know, try to find ways in which you can get more bang for your buck. So for instance, I like avocados as a good example, because they're also high in potassium, vitamin C and magnesium, and they all have a positive impact on fertility as well. Okay. Um, Now, what about minerals? And, you know, we know a lot about folic acid, and and that's one that uh, that everybody seems to know about. Can you get that from your food? Or do you, um, you recommend supplementation as well? Well, folic acid is a tricky one because it is something that we can get from food. Like for instance, spinach is a good source of folate, which is, um, you know, the non-synthetic version of folic acid. But what ends up happening is that a lot of times when we prepare food, 
like spinach, for example, a lot of the folate disappears in the cooking process. And so it's not always easy to get it all from the food that we eat. And so many times a supplement is recommended to ensure that women are getting enough of the folic acid because it is critical during early pregnancy because folic acid is necessary to make sure that the the spinal cord and the brain are forming in the proper way. And so it's typically recommended that people supplement with it. Often people find it in a prenatal vitamin, um, which is also something I recommend that, you know, women who are thinking about maybe getting pregnant, they should be taking a prenatal vitamin, even if they're not pregnant. It's not just for pregnant women. Um, it's a way to help make sure that you have all these other nutrients on board. Mm-hmm. And what about for men? Same, same food path? Yeah, the same. I think, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show, we were talking about how lycopene is important for, you know, sperm health and sperm motility. Um, Also, for men, selenium is something that we don't often hear a lot about, but it can actually be very beneficial because selenium is something that has been shown to be associated with testosterone levels and also sperm count. And so things like uh, Brazil nuts are a good example of, you know, where you can get a, a good dose of selenium. And, you know, again, for men too, making sure you're getting enough of the proper um, omega-3 fatty acids is always important. And also B12 is important because, you know, these have been linked not only to fertility, but just to overall, you know, health and general. And so salmon is a good example food that it has both omega-3 fatty acids, it also has selenium in it, and then it also has some B12 as well. An interesting part of the book that I I don't think is considered a lot by people um, is the packaging and the the toxins that, uh, you know, can liners can have the type of packaging. Maybe you can give us some uh, some of the top things to avoid in in the types of packaging like liners and 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 toxins that um, really we should really minimize in our in our diet. Yeah. So that's something that, you know, we don't, like you said, always think about. It's not just the foods that we're eating, but the things that come in contact with our foods. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, you know, things that are in the lining of different foods that we consume, like for instance, um, BPA is something that people often hear about. It's found in a lot of different products. It's a chemical that's primarily produced um, in in plastics and also sometimes in uh, epoxy resins, but you can find that some food packaging might also contain BPA and it can basically leach itself into the food that's in the particular container. And so that's why we want to make sure that, you know, all of our cans and uh, things that we're storing our food in are all coming from uh, BPA free products um, we know that, you know, this can have a negative impact on sperm health, especially BPA has been linked to um, lowering sperm uh, counts in men. And then a thing that we often hear a lot about is, you know, the packaging of different types of foods when we're out and about. So if you're, let's just say you're going to grab a sandwich at a local coffee shop and, you know, you're bringing that home with you or taking it to go, you have to remember that a lot of times there's chemicals that are used in these products to, you know, repel the oils or to make it so that the bag won't leak. 
but they also can leach into some of the food and they can have a negative impact on our, our fertility health. And so it's important that you're aware that, you know, some of these types of conveniences that we have related to food can also be doing some damage as well. Well, the one that I find interesting and a lot of people don't really don't know about are the microwave popcorn bags. And I circled that in your book and I sent it off to a couple of people and tell us about those. Yeah. So one of the, the way I have the book broken down is we focus on, you know, the foods that you should focus on when you're trying to get pregnant and have recipes that go along with that. But then I also have a chapter on 20 foods that you should avoid or at least certainly limit when you're trying to get pregnant. And a lot of these are foods that you might not necessarily suspect. And so, um, like you had suggested, microwave popcorn is definitely one that we want to try to avoid. And it has to do with the fact that we have chemicals that are in the lining of the bag itself. Mm -hmm. And those are needed in order to make sure that, you know, we can put it in the microwave and cook it. But we also know that they have a negative impact on our fertility health. And so, um, you know, this is something that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to completely not eat popcorn. You could certainly have popcorn, but you just want to make sure that you're using an alternative approach to prepare. Uh, of course, you know, the convenience is, these are the things that so often grab us, you know, the, the how convenient food is. Well, there's there's a price to pay for some of them. So that one was interesting for me. Now, also in your book, you've got this four week plan, which is awesome. And first of all, four weeks is enough. Do you think four weeks is enough or this should be this is sort of the ideal for the on the go couple? Well, I think that, you know, four weeks is a good start. And for some people, I think four weeks could turn into eight weeks or it Mm -hmm. can turn into, you know, two months. It really just depends on what your goals are and where you are in the journey. But I think that the way that we have this menu developed, it's really meant to allow people to see how they can put together different foods and have some really delicious and enjoyable meals, but also be getting the nutrition that they need to support healthy fertility and a healthy pregnancy. And I really tried to make these recipes when I developed them to be as simple and user-friendly as possible. So there's no exotic ingredients. You don't need to go out and, you know, hunt for spices in the grocery store to make these things. There are often things that are, you know, lying around in your pantry, but they're prepared in a way that's going to allow you to have the benefits of the nutrition that they can give you. Well, you, you and I are similar in that process. And I think that once people understand how to make their way around the kitchen and with your four week, um, your four week program, it's, it's wonderful. So people understand how to get around the kitchen. They understand how simple and easy it can be to throw together delicious, nutritious food. It's, it's a great addition to the book. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just, as I mentioned earlier, it's very needed. And so on behalf of people that are trying to get pregnant or are thinking about it, thank you for releasing the book. Again, it's called What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant by Dr. Nicole Avina. It will be out um, by the time this interview comes out. Where can we get the book? 
Oh, so the book's available wherever books are sold. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. You can also go to my website and there is a link to buy it there and it makes a great gift. So if you are interested um, in getting an autographed copy, you can purchase one of those on the website as well. Oh, excellent idea. Now, do you see patients in this area of your expertise? I do. Yes, I see um, a limited number um, it's, I'd love to see more. It's just so busy with everything else that's going on. Um, but yes, and it's something that I think more and more couples, it, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to become a bigger part of the discussion when we talk about, you know, pregnancy and family planning and, you know, preparing our bodies for that. I think that um, we're going to start to see more people that are interested in this as time goes on. I I agree. And I think, you know, the benefit of maybe being a little bit older than I was when you have your first baby is that you've got a little bit more knowledge and wisdom and that hopefully spreads out into the health. So thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. Um, I remember from our last show, I have to have to end with this. You made a comment about we're talking about sugar addiction, I think. And um, I think you had just read a study that even the thought of sugar can spike your blood sugar. And I'm just telling you this because I use that comment all the time. I always refer to you. I use it in practice. And I just thought I got to remind myself to tell you that uh, it stuck with me. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. Congratulations on on a wonderful accomplishment. Uh, Being an author is just something that seems so out there for me. So um, again, thank you for being on the show. Hope to have you back again and all the success with your book. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And everybody will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.